0: Here at Doxoday Blum, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, it's a so nice spending time with you today as we are in week three of our series on the book of Ephesians. We're actually looking at the first part of chapter three today. And if you're joining us just take note of this this evening we're going to tackle the second part of this chapter as well as we work through this book over the next six weeks also in our community groups we're going to study the word together and I want to encourage you if you're not yet in a community group 80% of studying the Bible should be done together with other people and then lastly Please take note of our devotional, where you can, on your own, spending time quietly and allowing God's Spirit to minister to your heart, work through this wonderful book by yourself. So, as I've said, we're in week three, and I think I'd like to kick it off with a memory of one of my favorite movies. Now, this is an old movie, and it might surprise you, but it's one of my favorites. It's called Back to the Future. So, some of the older folk would know, wow, yeah, I remember Back to the Future, And um, I, unfortunately, was not born when this movie was released. However, I watched it, and it just had such a great impression on me. Um, When Marty McFly goes back, a young man who's really living in some horrible circumstances, his present isn't going too well, and then he gets the opportunity to travel back in time to a place where his parents were a trick, and he gets to move some things around so that his future would become far better than what it was at that moment. Now, I believe the reason why this movie is so intriguing to me and so many people around the world is because as human beings, we are truly intrigued by the future. We always think about it. I'm just, if you sit down and you think about What are you going to do one day when you grow up? Um, Where are you going to be when you've finished working forever? We always dream about a future. And we always, always, always look for and hope for a future that is better than what we have now. Now, in this little portion of Scripture, we see Paul actually writing about the future that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's kind of a little bit of a messy portion because... A lot of the commentators and some of the guys studying this portion says, well, we don't really spend a lot of time in this portion. A lot of people overlook it because Paul starts speaking about himself. And then he just goes on about what he has discovered, what mystery he has discovered and how this mystery became the driving force of his life to share with everyone and everybody this mystery. So we're going to walk through this. I believe, under three headings today. Firstly, Paul tells us about the hardness of life in this portion of Scripture. Secondly, he tells us about the foundation for our future, giving us a security for a future hope. And then lastly, he tells us where you can get a foretaste, where you can experience, where you can find the hope for this future. So let's dive in. Firstly, the hardness of life. Paul writes about this, he alludes to it right at the end here and in the beginning when he says, I, Paul, prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. So he talks about a reality that he's busy sitting in. In fact, Ephesians was written by Paul while he was in prison. And then right at the end in verse 13, he writes the following. He says, so then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory here we have a man sitting in prison writing encouraging words to his friends to loved ones to the church in Ephesus if there's one thing that the Bible is not is it is not optimistic or ignorant to the fact that life is hard here we have a man sitting in a prison for committing no crime but speaking to the world about Jesus, the one that changed his life, the one that gave his life for him. Yet unfairly, he's sitting in a prison. In fact, when we're speaking about prisons, I can't help to think about John the Baptist, uh, who Jesus himself said, John was a prophet like none other. He was the greatest of all the prophets of the Old Testament. There is not one greater. He's the one that got it clearly. He saw exactly what God's heart is. In fact, he is the man that looked at Jesus while Jesus was coming to the water and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the one that will take the sin of the world on him, that will take away all the sin. He saw the Messiah. He called Jesus as the Messiah. He recognized it and he didn't have a skewed up version of it. He realized Jesus didn't just come to deliver israel from rome he saw that jesus was here to deal with the greatest problem this world has ever seen sin and he saw it all then this same john this same bold guy that calls this is the lamb recognizes jesus he gets captured thrown in prison sentenced to death and what does he do when he's in prison where does he find himself well he sends a messenger Jesus with a message asking this one little question are you truly the Messiah or should have should we have been looking for someone else what's happening why suddenly this bold man why is he currently in a place where he's filled with doubt all kinds of doubt why is he so uncertain is Jesus the Messiah is he really the one that that we are looking for that's that's where we have this man. Why is he so struggling with his doubts? Well, we all know why. You know why. I know why. Because he's in prison. Because he's confronted with the hardness and the reality of this life and in this world. That's where he is. In fact, I believe he's exactly where most of us are when we feel imprisoned. When we feel overwhelmed by the hardness of life. And I think we're asking exactly the same thing so many times. Because what he's really asking Jesus in this moment is he's saying, well, if you're really the Messiah, if you really are the Son of God, why are you doing this to your servant? Why am I in prison? Jesus, why did I lose my job? Why would you allow me to lose my job in this time? Why would you take away the people that I love so dearly away from me? Why would you place me in this prison of my circumstances right here, right now? Are you truly God? Can you really save me? That's kind of where we find John. However, when we read Paul's words, there is a surprising turn of events from this man. He ends it off here in verse 13 when he's busy encouraging the group of people in Ephesus. Which doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't the friends and the family and the loved ones that's living a free life, that has discovered Jesus, that's enjoying life to the full in abundance, shouldn't they be writing the encouraging words to Paul? Yet Paul has the capacity. He's discovered something, a power that can go beyond the circumstances. He's not a victim of where he is. No, he's victorious. What is this? What is this foundation for his hope and uh, him to be so excited about a better future, actually convinced of it, that he can encourage the church far away that's not experiencing the same kind of hurt and persecution as he is at that moment. Well, I believe it's two words. Firstly, it's the word mystery. Paul writes about a mystery that's being revealed. This word mystery is repeated all the way through this portion of scripture. And I don't know about you, but we all love mysteries. People love secrets. Am I correct? I mean, you read it everywhere. The first thing you tell someone when you tell them, please, please, I have a secret to tell you, but don't tell anybody else. What do they do? They run and they go and tell people that secret. We're intrigued by mystery. We're intrigued by secrets, especially when it's revealed. It feels like, wow, I got to know something that wasn't known before kind of idea. And Paul says, well, the power that I discovered is a mystery that has been revealed now. It has been revealed now. Guys, you need to look into this mystery. Actually, Peter double clicks on this and says, angels long to look in this mystery, into this beautiful mystery that we have. In fact, Like I said, we're so intrigued by it. I mean, still today, the other day I saw on People magazine, the mystery or the secret to why Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, which happened like basically 10 years ago, got separated. Here is the secret to why their love failed. It's like, I don't know what's going on, but obviously it sells. So it's clear to see that we are intrigued by mystery. However, the word mystery that Paul uses here in Greek, is not the way we would look at mystery in our current world. You see, when we think about mystery and secret, we kind of think about something that we need to go out and search and those that are persistent that can go through with it can go really deep into it can hopefully one day find this mystery treasure. That's not at all the meaning of the Greek word mysterion that Paul is using here. No, Paul is using a word that describes exactly the opposite. In fact, this word mystery that Paul uses says that the mystery that's being revealed here would never, ever be discovered by any one of us. In fact, it is so unconventional. It's so counterintuitive. It's so different that you would stumble across it and not even realize that this was the great mystery. But we are now in a place where God has revealed it to all to see. What is that? What is this mystery? Well, it's that second word that also repeats in this portion of scripture. It's the word grace. It repeats three times in this little portion. And we also see the word gospel mentioned once in this. It's the gospel of God's grace. The fact that God chose to love you no matter what you've done. Now, what's really interesting about this is that the Bible never refers to the Ten Commandments or the golden rule As being a mystery. Nowhere does it say, well, here's the wonderful mystery of the Ten Commandments. Or the wonderful mystery of the Golden Rule. Because it's not. It's common sense. And most people know exactly what it means when they read it for themselves for the very first time. However, with the gospel, it's exactly the opposite. It's not common sense. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. Let me give you an example. For as long as I can remember, I felt that I was inadequate. I was not good enough. I believe so many people can probably relate to this, that you feel you just don't got it. You're not up there. And somewhere along the line in my younger days, a lie was planted within my life that I'm inadequate because I'm not performing well. And if I don't perform well, people will not like me. They will not accept me. And you know what? This lie creeped into my relationship with God. and I started believing the lie that God will never love me. He will never accept me. In fact, He's always angry at me. And He wants to punish me if I don't perform well, if I don't go to church, if I don't pray, if I don't do all the right things. God hates me. and He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. In fact, if I can make a list of everything that I've done wrong, it's like confirmation for why God does not want me. But then Paul, the same man, writes in Romans the following words. He says, this is how God loved you and me. He loved us by giving his son while we were still sinners. Guys, this is so counterintuitive. This is, this is the picture of Jesus on the cross getting nailed and his enemies is busy the, the thing that he created people that he created is busy nailing him to the cross they're killing him and he's praying for their forgiveness it's actually kind of the same thing Paul is saying He's excited about the fact that he's in chains in prison. We read it about later in in some of his other prison readings, prison epistles, where he says, I count it excitingly joy because I'm chained to a guy. And then eight hours later, I'm chained to another guy. And every single time he must be with me so I can share the gospel. I can tell him about the good news of Jesus, that he can hear his love no matter what he's done. God loves him, not because of what he's done, but because of what God has done for him. That is the great measure and the channel and the mystery for all to know. God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter what has happened. He loves you. And let no one tell you otherwise. This is why Paul has the capacity to reframe his circumstances and not be a victim of it. He sees Jesus' hand in every area of his life. So much so that he doesn't even refer to himself as a prisoner of Rome, but as a prisoner of Christ. He knows and he rests in the fact that Jesus has his future. That's Paul's future. Fully in his hands. And it's secured. And that future is good. It's filled with an abundance of life. And it's because... The grace of God that has been revealed through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Now, now that we know in this broken world there is hope and it's God's grace and it's no longer a secret. It shouldn't be a secret. It should be something that the whole world knows about. And if you've tasted this, I want to ask you, what are you doing with the secret? Are you keeping it to yourself? Are you keeping it a secret? Because God decided to reveal it. He no longer wants to keep it a mystery. He wants the world to know. He wants the world to know of His grace and the hope for a glorious future for every single one of us. Now, here is the remarkable part for me in this whole portion. The part that blows my mind, actually. And it's in uh, verses 10 and 11. And I'm going to read it to you quickly. And then we're going to just quickly walk through this in two different steps. But it goes as follows. It says the following. Paul writes, he says, this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom, this wisdom, this beautiful mystery that has been revealed that through Christ's work, through God's work, you will be accepted. Not through your work. May now be made known. Let this mystery may be made known through what? Through the church. Can you believe that God is entrusting this mystery? This amazing message to his family, to the church, to you and to me. And it will be revealed through us. This future hope. In fact, Paul is busy saying you can get a foretaste of the future that's awaiting for you in Christ Jesus. When God comes back and everything will be renewed, you can get a taste of what that's going to be like when you are in his church. When you're part of the church. Wow. (laughs) Do you guys realize how big this is? In fact, he goes further. He says, this will be made known through the church to who? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. He says, the angels will discover the greatness and the glory of God's grace by looking at the life of his church together, seeing how we love one another. And then finally, he says this in verse 11. This is according to his eternal purposes to accomplish in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, let's quickly walk through it. Verses, the first part, verse 11. He says, he speaks about God's eternal purposes for you and for me. And I believe perhaps the main fact in life that we all are aware of is that everything in this world and in this life is busy falling apart. Everything is just coming undone. I mean, what, what else is war or, or violence and crime and, um, and racism What else is that but society falling apart? What's disease and hunger and death? What else is it but a human being, your body coming apart? Everything in this world is becoming undone. It's falling apart. And it's tragic. And the reality is is it wasn't intended to be like that. You see, in Genesis, God created the world that was not falling apart. However, after sin entered into this world, we see that everything starts falling apart. And God didn't have this plan to let everything fall apart. However, in Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, he speaks about this. He says the following, As the plan for the right time to be revealed through Jesus, the purpose of Christ, the reason why Jesus came, here's the plan, to bring everything together in Christ. This is where when your life falls apart, You've hit rock bottom. You've lost your job. Your wife passed away in this time. Maybe, maybe you've lost someone even closer or dearer to, your, to you. This is when everything becomes undone. God has one plan and one place and one person for you where everything that has become undone will finally be brought back together in Him. That's in Christ. And Paul also describes Christ's body as being the church. And this is exactly how it happens. I find it interesting that when we think about the body of Christ and we say the church, we don't always, I always had this organizational picture in my mind. But you know, while God was walking on this planet in the body of Jesus Christ, He went around healing people. He ran around freeing people from demon oppression. He went around bringing restoration and hope and a better future for all on this planet. He raised the dead back to life with his body as he walked on this planet. And now today, Paul calls the church the body of Christ. We become a beacon of hope as we live in the grace that God has given each one of us. Here is the one place where you can experience and discover the multifaceted wisdom of who God is and what His purpose and His plan is for the world. It's in the church. Here is where people can get to know the mystery revealed in Christ. There are so many ways that this can happen for so many of us, but I'll just quickly give you one example. You know, for most of us, we believe this idea that we are a result of the choices that we've made. All of my commitments, my individual decisions, I've decided to, to really work hard in life, to go for every opportunity. You can be whatever you dream about. Um, this is your life, your destiny. But if you're really honest, and if you go to people that does not have necessarily all the privileges, of wonderful opportunities and amazing resources, you'll discover and hear from them a truth that I believe many people are ignorant to. But we are far more the product of where we were born and the people that we were growing up, that surrounded us, than what we would like to admit. You see, it's the family and the friends around us that forms us. And in the same way, The moment you give your life to Jesus, counter to what the world would like to say, I like Jesus, but I don't like his church. You become part of a family. And that family, according to what Paul is saying here, is a family that gives hope, that brings light to this world. I want to end off with one last question today. If you have discovered this mystery, what are you doing with it? Church, are you busy showing the world that God loves them, not because of what they've done but because of what He has done for them. And in Him, their future is secured. They're highly favored, they're deeply loved, they're openly embraced and welcomed into his house and into his family. Let's pray. Father, today as we reflect on this wonderful mystery. That has been made known. A mystery that the angels long to look into. Something that's so counterintuitive. Something that makes your heart stop when you actually see it for yourself for the very first time. That you are loved even though you have sinned. You are embraced. You are invited. You are made new. You are blessed. Beyond measure. The immeasurable riches that we can find in Jesus Christ is yours. If you're in Him, Father, I come and pray for your church, your church in Bloemfontein, to stand up, to showcase the grace that is busy healing and has healed and made them new, each and every one of them. And that the world will know, will know this mystery that has been revealed. That you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.